This is the best. 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 Best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. We'll go down to Odyssey. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to episode six of Best Practices and Odyssey School podcast. My name is Megan Martell. I'm your host this week, and I am here with Jenny Einzig, who is one of our language arts teachers. Jenny teaches fifth through eighth grade language arts at Odyssey, and this is her first year here. Uh, She is one of five children and grew up in Louisiana. Her lifelong passion for animals and nature led her to LSU, where she studied conservation biology and finished with a master's in natural science. She moved to Asheville in 2012 and began teaching natural resource conservation at Western Carolina University. After three years at WCU, Jenny decided it was about time to take some time off to travel and embark on a six-month journey around the world. While traveling, she realized how much she missed being in the classroom, so she decided to find a job that would let her do both. And in summer of 2017, Jenny got a position with Global Leadership Adventures, which took her to Costa Rica, where she welcomed 75 high schoolers for a summer of conservation work, jungle hikes, and surfing. In 2018, she was sent to her dream location, the Galapagos Islands. There, she and her team of teens did Galapagos tortoise habitat restoration, tree planting, and played lots of soccer. An avid reader, she's excited to bring her appreciation of literature and her passion for justice to her students at Odyssey while they learn to think critically, creatively, and compassionately. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you, Megan. So glad to be here to share with you today. So last week, you gave a best practice presentation focused on social justice, which is one thing I just shared with our listeners. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to consider yourself a social justice warrior? Sure. I have a very interesting past. I was not raised with a lot of the beliefs that I have currently. So um, it was kind of through the absence of those ideals, um, the absence of those values for justice, I kind of felt like something was missing. And it led me to ask a lot of questions and to follow my heart and kind of formulate who I'm going to be as a human being. So really, it was a very natural um, evolution but it required a lot of work, and it was a lot of work that my family didn't really understand and my current friends didn't really understand. So it was through that absence of those values um, that just led me to believe that there was something more or something missing. Wonderful. Yeah, it's an, it's an important journey to walk, and the fact that you walked it alone in a lot of ways is really inspiring. Have you ever encountered a student who maybe is asking some of those same questions and saw yourself in them, and what was that like? Absolutely. Um, So southern Louisiana and Appalachia are similar, um, I guess, in terms of philosophy, um, politics. So when I was teaching at 
WCU. It's a very conservative and pretty religious region. And when they came to take my class, um, issues around conservation, issues around social justice have only ever really been presented to them through a political lens, like, oh, this is this is liberal stuff, um, or I'm not supposed to be believing in these things. And as it was a science class, I had the unique opportunity to just present factual information to them without an opinion and have discussions about it. And then I was able to ask them, like, so what do you feel? What do you feel about this? Um, it was also a solutions-oriented class. So I had them formulate solutions to these things that they didn't even believe were problems before. So it was happening all the time. I was teaching a lot of little former me's. <laughs> so, Yeah, so you spoke a lot about empathy in your presentation to our teachers and, and using that as a way in to social justice and having sort of walked in, on both sides of this line per se, um, how do you personally use empathy and how do you use empathy as a teacher? Sure. So I almost can't help but to consider the feelings of everyone around me. Um, and so as an educator, my one of my personal mantras is just to be the be the grown up that you needed when you were growing up. And if I can remember that um, and just constantly, like I said, use it more of like a mantra than a reminder that I read every few months. If I use it as a mantra, it really helps me to just remember like, hey, you are the sole adult in these kids' lives for this hour or, you know, however long the class is. So that is very helpful. Um, And it ties in so beautifully with social justice, because if we're not humanizing or realizing the struggles that people are facing, um, it's impossible to empathize and to fight for them. So tell us a little bit how you bring your students into that practice of empathy. Sure. So our first social justice unit, my language arts class, is divided into four social justice units. The first one has been immigration. And I wanted it to be immigration because it's just such a hot topic right now in our nation. All the students have heard these words, illegals, illegal immigration, um, family separation at the border, the wall, all of these things. They've all heard about it and they are curious about it. They see adults become emotional about these things. Um, So I wanted to give them access to that discussion. And so with our first unit being immigration, the way I used it, an example of an activity was when I was teaching them about the literary element of point of view. I had them all write stories in first person about their, quote, immigration experience. So I had them imagine that they were an immigrant themselves and they made the decision to leave their country for a new country. And using words like I and me and my, um, it just very naturally lends itself to actually put yourself in the shoes of someone in that situation. So they had to learn about different regions of the world in order to tell me why they were leaving. Um, What are 
If you chose Sudan, for example, what are you running from in Sudan? If you chose Syria, why are you fleeing Syria? So they had to have an awareness of these actual um, issues that people are facing. So we talked about first person, second person, third person. We understood what they all three meant. And then I decided to have them write the story in first person. There's something really beautiful about starting off the year with immigration, too, because it is in many ways about beginnings and new beginnings and exploring new territory, which I know as a language arts teacher, you want your students to feel like they're doing, they're entering into new territory and having to more deeply understand what's happening around them. Definitely. And I'm curious about how you might handle that unit if you had students in your classroom who were immigrants themselves or maybe their parents were immigrants. How might that change how you teach? Sure. Um, I think if I did have the opportunity to be educating a student that was actually an immigrant, um, I would want to check in with that student and ask the student if they would want to share um, because who better to tell the story? They do a much better job of telling their story than, than I could. I'm going off of things that I've read and conversations I've had with people, sure. But if I had a student who had that experience or whose parents had had that experience, I might ask them to contribute a lot more to the lesson, um, maybe even more than me, um, because what matters is their experience. So... I don't have that in my class. Um, We don't have any immigrants. But my hope is that when my students leave my classroom and they do encounter immigrants, um, whether it's out in the world or just at at the voting booth, whenever they're making a decision about who they want to represent them, that they keep this in mind. That they keep that connection and that empathy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about some of the specific resources you used with your students, either poems that you used or um, specific writing prompts that you had them encounter? So another thing we did for this unit was all the poetry and literature we read um, was from poets or writers that were immigrants themselves. So we looked at works from Pablo Neruda. We looked at works from Khalil Hebron. Um, and Pablo Neruda is so interesting because he's known as a, a love poet, one of the great love poets. He's also just an incredible revolutionary. Um, he moved from Chile to Spain and then spent time in Southeast Asia, rescued 2,000 people during the Spanish Revolution, uh, brought them back to Chile, got involved with politics there. It was just an incredible, incredible person. And we talked about, we, I shared his biography with the students. Um, we watched a TED Ed video about Pablo Neruda and they really connected with him. And it was one of those moments as an educator where the things you may not have expected the students to remember, they absolutely remembered, like, but to the number. He rescued 2,000 people during the Spanish Revolution and, um, he, the hospital said he died of cancer, but no one in Chile believes that, and just all the details. They were pretty into it. And in addition to his writing these beautiful love poems, he also wrote 
many, many poems, over 200 poems, to mundane objects. So a tomato, um, a tuna in the market, socks. And so for fifth grade, it was really appropriate to talk about this poem about socks. And um, so they, they really enjoyed that because it was, it was simple, but it's still poetry. And they already recognize that this is a poetry great. So um, the poem basically just in short is just talking about how life is doubly good and doubly is beautiful when you've got two wool socks in the winter. So after we read that poem and we kind of giggled about it and it was it was fun, um, I had them choose a poem or an object to write a poem to. So um, something that makes their life doubly more joyful. <laughs> they they could have they could have done that. But it was really, um, it was really just a mundane object because with the socks, yes, he's talking specifically about it being doubly as good. But in his Ode to the Onion, for example, he's taking an onion and describing just how beautiful it is. And so we had a discussion about how what he's doing is taking things that we might overlook or not see the beauty in and reminding us that there's beauty everywhere. And so that was more of the style that I asked them. Like, take something mundane and make it beautiful. What were some of the most beautiful objects that they chose? We had pencils and pillows. And one student chose to write about the dairy aisle in the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the ice cream is there, so I'm on board. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So they had a lot of fun with it. And then it was an amazing opportunity for more vertical planning. So I contacted um, the high school English teacher. And the idea is we have this poetry pen pals idea. So we sent our odes to mundane objects to a high school class. And they're supposed to return poetry back to us. And it's just a way to, um, you know, have them interact with older older students and it makes it fun and meaningful because when you're in fifth grade and you've got a 10th grader interacting with you it's the best thing in the world so yeah and to also give your writing purpose definitely to give you an audience and you're not just writing for the teacher in the front of the room yes exactly cool I think I'd like to take a moment and return to the question about um, who your students are and and what to do when you have uh, immigration stories within your classroom and and even more broadly what do you do when you have students who are impacted by social inequities in your classroom when you're teaching social justice um, it gets more complicated and when you have a classroom that is more homogenous it's a lot easier to talk about inequity and talk about stories that they hear in the third person as opposed to feel and experience in the first person and we also don't want to center um, students as representatives for their whole group. Exactly. So if you have one immigrant student, just centering them as the teacher of immigration is also not a cool thing to do. So um, I just wanted to mention that because I, I feel like that can be important for teachers in independent schools who sometimes have more homogenous classes. Sure. Well, and um, the... What I said in the beginning, but I should have added to, was I would, in that situation, I would ask the student if it was okay. If it was not okay, I would not go with that. Um, but a lot of times, students do want to share about their experiences. 
And so if I had a willing participant, then definitely. For sure. Yeah. Centering voices that need to be heard and want to speak is also a really powerful social justice move. Yes. Last question. What is the most challenging moment you've had in teaching this immigration unit? So in my sixth grade class, we have a student who is in support of the wall. And it's so easy, especially around Asheville, um, to, you know, we live in a an echo chamber of sorts. And a liberal, liberal <laughs> yes. echo chamber. <laughs> exactly. So um, we were talking about immigration and Mexican immigration in particular. And I had one student speak up and say, um, well, all they have to do is do it legally. Um, and then they would be welcomed into this country with open arms. And um, the students in my class kind of spoke up um, and had opinions about this standpoint. And we were able to have a conversation around it and just return back to the facts. We had read so many different uh, reading comprehension pieces, um, so many stories about the struggles people face once they get to the United States. So getting there um, is only half of their struggle. And once they're here, they're facing all kinds of other struggles like racism and other types of discrimination. So we returned the conversation back to just humanization, um, reminding ourselves that these people are human. And I asked the student if she had ever considered this topic from any other perspective than her own or perhaps her parents' perspective. And she was very honest and said that no, she hadn't really considered it from that perspective. And that led very naturally into a discussion about how for those of us who are growing up privileged, for those of us who are growing up well off in the United States, for those of us growing up with food security and we're not afraid of the police, for example, that it can be very difficult for us to even imagine that life can be so bad that we would have to leave. And that sometimes when we're just going through life, looking at life through our very privileged um, lens, it can be difficult to humanize other people around the world having these very real struggles. And even other people, other people in our country, our own country that are having these real struggles, but particularly in relation to immigration, we don't know what it's like to wake up and have bombs falling around us and having to make these types of decisions. So first humanizing the individuals having these experiences and then realizing these experiences that they are actually happening. It seems like, you know, one of the takeaways as we wrap up this conversation that I feel like we could have for hours and hours is to really rely on information and empathy as two really critical tools when using social justice and exploring social justice issues in the classroom. Agreed. And your presentation has some resources for teachers, so we're going to link those in the liner notes. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your um, feelings and beliefs and facts. 
<laughs> yes, my pleasure, my absolute pleasure. Wonderful. So um, thank you for listening and joining us for this week's episode. And we hope to have you join us for next week. Thanks so much. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud. at all.